This is the OBG Apparel Podcast. Wait, uh, I'm not understanding. Why does an apparel company have a podcast, though? Because they're that awesome. What is up, guys? Dave with OBG Apparel. This is our first long-form interview-style podcast, something I'm super excited about. I'm really looking forward to it. On this episode, I interview and interact with a good friend of mine, Forrest Krasit. He's the worship pastor at our church here in Bradenton, Florida, Good Life Church. It's a lot of fun. We talk about ministry and marriage, and most importantly, following Jesus, because that's what this podcast is all about. So give it a listen. Listen to the end. We'd love to hear your feedback. Shoot us a DM, a Facebook message, whatever it is. Hope you enjoy. What's up, guys? Dave with ODG Apparel. This is podcast number one. I'm with my man, Forrest. How do you pronounce your last name, Forrest? Krasit. Say it one more time. Krasit. It? Yep. There's no Z at the end of that. No, there's a T. There's a T. Krasit. Forrest Krasit. We are doing our first podcast with one mic. We should have two. We've been wrestling with another mic. But we just want to do it. We want to do it as not excellent as we possibly can because that's what we're about here at ODG Apparel. No, I'm kidding. Um... We are at our church office. Forrest is our worship pastor at our church here in Florida, Good Life Church. I'm one of the elders here. And so I thought it only made sense to do our first podcast with the king of the mic, Forrest Krasit. Yes, the king of the mic, the only mic we have. Very embarrassing when my friend Dave reaches out and says, hey, man, let's do a podcast. I'm like, that's fantastic. I love podcasts. I have great gear to do it. And he shows up and I open up a microphone and literally one of the cables is detached on the inside. So... Of course, Dave doesn't have a soldering iron. I don't know why you would think any self-respecting business owner would have a soldering iron, but that's kind of where we're at right now. So, yeah. Let's get started. I mean, where Forrest, you've asked me multiple times where we're going with this podcast, and I don't think I know where we're going. So, I mean, we've known each other for how long? About a year? So, yeah. Forrest came in to worship, uh, to be worship pastor at our church about a year ago. Um, it's been a really awesome experience. We're going through a lot of shifts and changes and twists and turns in our church as it is now, um, but it's been really excited to kind of get to know him. But then again, I don't really know all that much about you. So kind of give me the rundown, give us the rundown of kind of what you're, what you're about and what you're doing and where you're from and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I love to ramble, so I'm going to try not to do that. Um, no I'm, <laughs> yeah, no time limits. I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, I went to FSU. If you're gonna, if I'm gonna give the overview of who I am, the things that have really shaped me when I was growing up, my parents split up, and that shaped a lot of my growing up. So I spent one week with my mom, one week with my dad. Both my parents are awesome. My dad is not a believer. My mom is a believer. So I kind of went to church like half of the time and not the other half. And you know, my kind of story of coming to faith was really beginning to wrestle with these two different realities in high school. And, um, you know, as so many people happens when you get to high school, you start to kind of figure out who you are, what you believe. And for me, it was, um, okay, I, I see two very distinct realities. My dad, who's kind of more agnostic or atheist, do I believe what he believes? Or my mom, who's a believer, do I believe what she believes? And for me, the more I looked into the life of Jesus and the gospels and um, seeing the fruit of my parents' life, um, I became a Jesus follower, and I was just convinced that he was who he says he was. He was the son of God, that he died for my sins, that he rose again, and obviously that completely transformed the rest of my life. So I went to FSU. I was going to, uh, you know, I'm still fleshing out these things that are are struggles. So I'm, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm on fire for Jesus, as, as you could say, and um, I love music. So I was part of a band that Dave was just making fun of when he walked in my office um, keep some of the old memorabilia around, you know, but we loved, loved leading worship, loved being a part of that, but it was kind of something that was fun to do. You know, it wasn't necessarily like, you can't do that as a career, I suppose. So I was still kind of thinking what I needed to do was make as much money as possible and kind of please my dad in that way. So I was planning on going to law school and um, I guess I was going to be either a business major or something like that, just to get into law school and argue with people, I guess, which, you know, more power to you if that's what you're into. I think uh, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, man, I could have been good at that, but then I don't know. I don't know. But um, I been a good yeah, you definitely would be a good lawyer, Dave. But 
So all, all around this time, you know, we're, we're playing music and getting the chance to lead worship. And there's this one particular event that always comes to mind for me. And it was in a little town called Crawfordville, Florida. And don't know if you've ever heard of Crawfordville in your life, but it's just south of Tallahassee, kind of towards the coast. And Crawfordville is a very small town, not a lot going on there, but they were doing this student event and they invited us to come be a part of it. And at that student event, we, you know, led worship. There was somebody that shared the gospel. And afterwards there was a student, a high schooler that came up and just shared that, you know, that day, and I don't know all the details about how this works, but that day they had planned on committing suicide, that they were kind of had given up hope. They wanted to take their life. And this student at their school invited them to come to this event. And they said, all right, just last, last ditch. I'll just see, I'll just see what it's like. So they show up at this event and hear the gospel and music, and then someone gives up and shares the gospel. And instead of taking their life, they gave their life to Jesus. And it was like in that moment, I, I don't know, I guess I just faced this question and, you know, whether you want to say it's like God impressing it on my heart or whatever, it was just a, okay, everything up to that point for me in my, my future, my college was all, how can I make as much money as possible to, you know, please my dad or get some affirmation or whatever. And all of a sudden I, I see this life change happen and see the gospel just totally transform somebody and something that, you know, God's sovereign, but somehow like we got to at least have a front row seat of seeing it happen. And there was almost like this question inside of me, which was how much money could I make that would equal seeing that happen once? And obviously it was an easy answer. It was, man, I would give up everything to see that happen again. So that was where the next day I called the, I called the front office at FSU and said, I mean, I'm changing my major. Um, I want to be a writing major, which sounds super random, but for me, it was something I enjoyed and I just knew like nobody does that to make money. Um, and that kind of changed the course of the rest of my life. I wanted to pursue local church ministry and had some opportunities to be a part of that and move to Mississippi and uh, just met my wife about, I guess it's been two and a half years ago now. We got married a year after we met. Okay, I'm taking the mic. So give me the give me the rundown. So that happens. What year are you in school? And then you move uh to Pine Lake, like, give me that that time frame from that moment to going to Pine Lake, meeting Sarah, and then ending up here in Florida. Great. So I'm a junior in college at the time. So we are still are um, a part of this band. And then now it was kind of like, all right, maybe that's the avenue to keep pursuing because that was kind of where what we were in front of right now and the chances we had to to lead. And um, a lot of what we were doing wasn't necessarily leading worship. It was kind of writing, you know, Christian songs. I guess you'd call it like CHR if you want to, Way FM or Joy FM and that kind of stuff. Christian hit radio. It's a great time. It's positive and encouraging. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we were kind of in that vein. And I just increasingly was not really satisfied with that. Um, I think there's good people that do it, but I just found more and more I didn't really care about writing my own songs and seeing like if people would sing them. I just wanted people to engage with truth. I wanted people to sing worship to God. So I was like, frankly, I don't really care if I wrote the song or Chris Tomlin did or whatever. Like I, I want to help lead people. Yeah. Pause. So before we go any further, <laughs> I'm sure everyone's wondering, is it sloppy, wet or unforeseen? Um, I think you know, the original song was Sloppy Wet. However, I don't think I've ever actually sang that lyric in my life. So I've only sang Unforeseen. And I think, though, what I will say that I'm going to call out David Crowder because he backs off the mic every time. And I think he needs to make he needs to make a decision known on that lyric. That's all I'm going to say. He's like, you know, playing deferentially wants the crowd to just <laughs> chant it out. Yeah. So anyway, go back. You're you're realizing that the band thing might not be the the thing for you, you're feeling this call outside of that. What takes you from FSU to Mississippi? Yes. So if I can go rewind back just a little bit. So the last two um, years I was at FSU, so my junior year, senior year, we were part of Fuge Camps, which were these uh, summer camps. The first one I did was in Panama City Beach. The second one was in Bolivar, Missouri. So first time we struck gold. Second time we were in Missouri, which was, you know, whatever. Shout out to Missourians. But um, that whole summer, we were just leading worship for the camp. So we would do, a, a, year. this is my junior year. So we would lead a morning session, we'd lead a night session, and just constantly, like every single day for 
two months over the summer we did this. And it was in that time that I guess I was beginning again to see a different reality. So for, for us, we would lead worship for these students for a week and then they would bail. They'd go back to their home churches. They'd go back to wherever they came from. And it was an awesome week. But again, I just felt the stirring in my heart that was like, man, what would it be like to invest somewhere and not just see them leave the next day? Like invest in people and, um, I don't know, I guess put your hand to the plow, if you will, and just begin to till soil over a long season. And that's where I really began to feel, you know, if you want to use the word called or whatever, I just felt like I wanted to be a part of the local church and investing in that and not just uh, kind of flying in and encouraging people and then heading out. I wanted to be, you know, on the ground in the local church. So I graduate from FSU in December of 2012, go Knowles, and I'm feeling this whole uh, thing where... I've been leading worship a lot. I've been doing the music side of things, but I've never done it as a profession in the local church. Like I've never, certainly I served at my church, but even what we were doing, we were traveling a lot. So it's not like I was really a part of the inner workings of kind of local church ministry, what was going on. So I really felt strongly that it's where I was supposed to move towards, but I wasn't quite sure how to even get started. I had a a degree, a secular degree, if you will, in creative writing and I had this music experience, but not necessarily the local church experience. And I literally got on Twitter in January. So the very next month, um, I got on Twitter and a guy retweeted this church called Pine Lake into my Twitter feed. And it was for a residency that they had. And it was kind of advertised in a way that's like, man, do you feel called to serve the local church, but you need more experience? It was just like all the things that I was wrestling with. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I need. So I called the phone number and talked to this guy named Tim Wheat. And um, I was like, dude, I want to apply. I want to be a part of this. And it's like so random for them because for the most part, their residency was kind of contained to Mississippi. So I'm just like randomly this wild card from Florida who is kind of throwing my my hat in the ring. So I drove to Mississippi and interviewed and got the job. So I moved to Mississippi. So how does your how does your family play into this at this point in your kind of like decision making process? Because I'm sure that's still played in your in the background a little bit with like your dad and I'm sure even your mom a little bit like what was that like yeah um like I said both my parents are just super I think they're great and supportive and have always been involved in my life so I think for the most part one my dad doesn't really understand (laughs) what I do you know um but he knows that I I love my job and um that I really am passionate about it and you know kind of his his thing on his side is, man, if you find something that you love doing, then pursue it. And I, I love that my dad is kind of giving me that freedom. And for my mom, I think she's similar. She's, um, you know, kind of, she is a believer and she's seen us lead worship before when we were in Tallahassee and, you know, she was always supportive of it. And I think was really, you know, about it. So when I said I was moving to Mississippi, they were, they were for it. I've never really been the kind of person that was like a homebody. Like I always, in some weird way, knew that I was going to move away from Tallahassee, or at least I guess I wanted to. So it was actually really weird to end up in Bradenton because my wife is from Oregon. So we met in Mississippi, which is super random, but she was a part of a ballet company. We kind of reached a point. I guess you're probably going to question me about this, but okay. I'm curious about, so even as just like a a friend of yours, like, so you're in Pine Lake, Mm -hmm. A, how is that going? What's that residency look like? And B how does Sarah kind of like intersect your life, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that's like, for the people that are listening to this podcast, I'm imagining are like somewhere between 18 and 30 something, you know, are thinking and dealing with those sort of things all the time. I know I did. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, how do you know when someone intersects your life? Like what, are, so again, you have a lot of things going on at this point in your life. You're doing this residency, you're in a different state. Mm-hmm. How does Sarah kind of intersect your life and how does the residency going? Yeah. So the residency was only 11 months long. So kind of the whole idea of the residency is you come in and um, it's very, it's very scent oriented. So the idea is you come in, you get trained up because you've said, Hey, I feel this call to local church ministry, but I need equipping. So kind of their idea is to meet you in the gap to help you be equipped. And then they're going to send you out to go find a job somewhere. So it was, um, I mean, I guess God's sovereignty, if you will, but it wasn't necessarily the plan that I was going to stay at Pine Lake. They just you know, I got offered a job, so I took it. (laughs) But um, Sarah didn't come into my life until a few years later. So I finished the residency and took a job in um, August of 2014. And I met my wife a couple years later. So I mean, gosh, how do you even begin to answer the question you said, like, 
it's funny because I don't, you know, I always, um, I wanted to be married. Like I always had a dream of, you know, starting a family and being a part of that someday. And as a Christian, I found dating to be really difficult, especially as, um, one of the things that I always wrestled with was, okay, so as a guy in Christian culture and biblically, like we're called to pursue, well, the whole idea of dating is that you kind of feel somebody out and see if you want to be with them. And um, I never knew what to do with that because I always felt like I would be a good husband, but I was didn't know how to date somebody because you're not supposed to give yourself to somebody and just pursue all of somebody when you're dating. Like that's not, I would say, biblically accurate. Um, but at the same time, that's kind of our culture is you just date and you figure it out. So, I mean, I had... Um, some not good situations and it was always you know it's hard, it's like weird to say but coming from a divorced home as like a child there was always this kind of I guess lie that I wrestled with that somehow it was my fault or you know like that I wasn't worth it but um it took me a long time of you know having a breakup and just honestly like being 22 going through a breakup and acting like a five-year-old because I would just revert back to being five-year-old me. And it's one of those things that, you know, we hear as Christians, like we know the gospel, we believe the gospel and we can hear it many times, but there's these certain times in life where it really clicks. And I don't know what it was for me in this particular season, but I was just kind of like, had gone through some weird relationship stuff that were just me being immature and, you know, things are just not working out and me kind of, uh, which sounds so dumb now because I'm looking back on it, but just being like, man, what was me? Like what, what's going to happen? What in the world? And then that little lie that I always had that I wasn't worth it. I began to really realize the truth of the gospel for the first time that, you know, in my opinion, Dave, and you can correct me theologically if I need to be corrected, but I don't think Jesus went to the cross just dying this kind of hypothetical death for hypothetical people somewhere. Like I theologically believe whether you want to uh, say he looked down the corridors of time or whether he predestined and chose us, that he knew he was who he was going to the cross for. And he was going to purchase the, the dowry for his bride. And I was a part of that. And for the first time, it just really clicked to me that it wasn't like my worth and identity didn't matter what anybody else thought, but it was Jesus going to the cross and saying, no, you're worth it. Like I'll give anything for you. And from that moment on, I lived life in a very different way. I knew the gospel, but it clicked in, in a new way in that season. So I have like a million things going through my mind. Um, so when you talk about just just even just even as you're navigating the whole like relationships and pursuing, and what does it look like to do that when you're not married, but you want to do it right and you don't want to be like the culture around you? I even struggle with that as I disciple guys, right, who are dating people and feeling like, man, you, I remember when I was dating my wife uh, prior to us getting married, having a friend of mine really, really, I feel like for the first time, show me what that's supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that I kind of disciple guys today is I never wanted my wife, oh, my sin, that's not true. I wanted to do it wrong. I wanted to just text her. Mm-hmm. and be like kind of coy about it and i wanted her to like feel a certain way before i was like vulnerable and that's the culture that's the dating culture of like man how can i get her to feel a certain way about me and not have to have invested anything vulnerability wise mm-hmm. and so what this what this a good friend of mine really taught me in this season was always be first right so when i think about dating and i think about walking people through what does that dating relationship look like and doing it well is always being first, right? So rather than letting emotions go first and then then kind of the thought and the mind and the decision-making process come second is is to always be first. I remember like hanging out with my wife like two times. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, we're dating at this point. Hanging out with her two times and being really intentional to pursue her and just, I remember saying to her like, hey, I'd love to grab dinner. Um, I just want to talk. Yeah, for sure. We like hung out and like the whole night I know I'm going to be like saying these things to her and I'm like being so like, like we, I, we hung out for like three hours. It could have been like a 45 minute conversation, but like I literally just was like pushing it. And I remember my friend texting me and being like, stop being a baby about this, like kill sin. And the sin being like, I don't want to be vulnerable first. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember just pulling her aside after and saying, hey, I have a couple of things I want to tell you. Mm-hmm. First, I want to tell you that I really think that this could be something and I want to mm-hmm. pursue it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're beautiful and I, I would love to, for you to possibly mm-hmm. be my wife one day. And I'm, this is so weird. I'm just being really honest with you. Yeah. So that if you're like, hey, that's not where my head's at, then you have the freedom to kind of mm-hmm. do that rather than like me coercing your emotions somewhere. So I just, that idea of coming first, of being the first person to the conversation rather than her. I never wanted her to be in a situation where she was thinking, I wonder what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. Like I always wanted to be there right before that thought happened mm-hmm. to kind of communicate their, that to her. And that's something that someone taught me. And I feel like I still kind of am figuring out each day. Um, but even what you were just talking about, the idea of like Jesus going to the cross, like we talk about this all the time. Jesus went to the cross and knew who he was going to, for the, to the cross for. And, and you talk about, well, was it this way? Was it that way? Regardless of how it was, like you even mentioned this word of like, I was worth it. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that coin, you weren't worth it. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes the cross so beautiful. It's like, sometimes I think we need to lean into our feelings of, that the enemy gives to us of like, you're not worth it is I'm not. And Jesus says, I am. Mm -hmm. Jesus does things that you would only do for someone who's worth it. Mm -hmm. And Jesus decides to do it that way. Because sometimes when we attach it to worth, we even struggle on the flip side of like, man, what happens when I don't feel worth it? Mm -hmm. Right? Like we, like almost attaching it to our, to our unworthiness is is sometimes really helpful too, because we can lean into it. Mm -hmm. So all these terrible relationship situations happen. Mm -hmm. Tell me about Sarah. How do you meet her? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that you said. I hate that you're you're good at this. Maybe, I don't know if you just got to put a quarter in me and I go on forever or what, but I feel like I was skeptical of Dave when we started this because I've done some podcasts before and I'm like, Dave, we don't really have a script. And he was just like, oh, we'll just talk. It'll be all right. And I didn't believe him. And now here we are. Um, so no, I, th- I think what you said was great about looking at you know our worth in Jesus. And um, yeah, I, I don't want to come across like, you know, kind of self-righteous or in the like feel good circle in, in that regard. But that's, that's a good word that you said. Both are true. Yeah. But no, both things are true and you're right. Um, in dating, I love what you say about going first. Um, I just would circle around that because it's something that I see that is so lost in our, in our culture that kind of frustrates me. And I even experienced it in dating world where, you know, there was, um, times where I wanted to be really intentional because I kind of had that conviction that as a guy, that's what we were called to do. So for me, I was never like, certainly I screwed up times and did stupid stuff when, you know, I remember like trying to Facebook message a girl and then getting disappointed when it didn't work out. And then, um, it's so dumb. Luckily that was a long time ago, but that's like totally the norm now. I mean, I have a, I have a younger brother in college and he's a believer and that's like kind of the world that they operate in is you kind of uh, start maybe liking her Instagram photos and then maybe you like direct message her or you kind of like start, it's all this like feeling out if you're going to be successful, if you actually ask her. And even a lot of my friends, I get frustrated with them because they're either dating somebody that I don't know why this was sacred to me, but I feel like asking a girl's number was kind of a sacred thing to me that I'm like, it frustrated me that even now, like I can, I know some guys that I'm in relationship with that, they were kind of like talking in her Facebook message or her Instagram. And then eventually she was kind of like, Hey, if you want to talk, you should just text me. Here's my number. And, uh, okay. I'm giving you the mic. So I'm, I'm thinking about like how I did it. So this is, I did not do well. Okay. Um, so I ran, I ran some, um, some businesses and had an employee. So I've never checked a reference in my entire life. I've checked yeah. one reference my entire life. So this is how me and my wife met. We, I had this business. Um, it was a smoothie shop and we would do a lot of stuff with Young Life. So my wife's an area director for Young Life. And I I remember I had met her once before, like quickly. And then we did this big event with Young Life and she's there. And I remember thinking, okay, like I need to talk to her before the night's over. Mm-hmm. Like we knew of each other, but didn't like know each other. So like I found a way to have a conversation with her and like had a pretty long conversation with her. And, uh, I could tell that there was something there. So then the next day I get an application in and I look at the reference and I notice that she puts on there, oh, I know Courtney from Young Life. Mm-hmm. And so I just had to check that reference, right? So um, so I did and I texted her. I was like, hey, it's Dave from Smoothie King. We were talking last night. Mm-hmm. And then that was kind of like the lead in to like everything else. So totally did that wrong, <laughs> well, but hopefully did some other stuff right. 
No, I, I think that is a legitimate thing. I think more at the crux of the issue to me is that you have to be intentional. And there were actually times in my life that I was intentional and I got turned down because of it. And um, what I mean is certainly I've been turned down because, you know, well, for whatever reasons, but I, I've actually had like a girl say once, because um, I think she was, I think she was still in college, which is diff- just a different life season and um, kind of because I'm more intentional and I, I wasn't the kind of person that's like, hey, do you want to maybe hang out? I was like, I want to take you on a date. And that was kind of where we had hung out a couple of times. And then that was like, whoa, like that's really like pick me up. You want to pick me up and stuff? I don't know. That just seems too serious. Mm-hmm. And to me, I just wonder if we lost a little something in society with that, because as a man, there's part of me that's like, you should have to be kind of brave and ask a girl out and pick her up from her house and do all those little things that were a part of our, our culture. But now we kind of have cheapened it a little bit because we're around each other on Instagram and everything like that. And I mean, I, I love Instagram. I'm on it as well. I just try to challenge, you know, guys in my life that, man, be, be legit, be intentional, say the things like, it's not just a, Hey, do you want to meet up for coffee to where in her mind, she's like, because we're friends or because you're interested in me. Like just take all the gray area out and just say, kind of like what you mentioned, you don't have to necessarily lead off before you've ever talked to someone and say, you're beautiful. I don't know if I'd lead off with that, but it's okay just to say, Hey, I'm interested in you. I'd love to take you out on a date. Can I get your number? So I guess I'll intro into my wife and I's story because it's the only time I think I've ever done it right. And we're married now. So my wife and I, (laughs) yeah, pro tip. My wife and I story is very funny because it starts off when I was a part of the residency, I actually met my wife and I had no idea. So she was a part of this ballet company. They're a Christian ballet company. Um, Those exist. And we were doing a night of worship at the church and there was actually a girl in the residency that had just come out of this company. So a bunch of her friends from the company came to the night of worship because some of them were going to dance at it. And then in this big group of people, um, this girl, Jessica, just kind of introduced me to everybody, just said, hey, this is Forrest. He's one of the resident guys. And then um, she introduced me to everybody. One of those people was my wife. So obviously I had no idea. But about two years later, I started running into her all the time. Um, so the first time we ran into each other was, um, so our, our church was a a multi-site and she went to a different, um, campus than I did, but I kind of traveled around a little bit. So I, you know, the worship pastor at one campus was on vacation or something, or maybe they didn't have one at the time. So I was leading out there and I went to go say, Hey, to one of the staff guys, he was the children's pastor and my wife was serving in the children's ministry. So it just so happened at the time she was talking to the children's pastor and he was a, you know, another young guy on staff. So I was just going up to talk to him. And then he was like, Oh, like you should meet Sarah. Here's Sarah. And I'm like, Oh, Hey Sarah, what's up? You know, she's, I'm definitely thinking like, she's cute, but I'm not a, you know, I was just kind of like, all right, like we randomly met. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So it was, I don't know, three weeks later, we have a prayer gathering at, at church, um, at the place that I worked at. And she, again, she randomly, go ahead. Prayer gatherings, best place to pick up chicks. Absolutely. Go to the prayer gathering because you know they are serious. So, uh, and they're desperate. Just kidding. But, uh, you know, so I go to the prayer gathering and then again, this girl, Sarah, I just met, she shows up at this, at the prayer gathering and I kind of, uh, you know, I kind of mosey my way over there and just, you know, we, we have passing words like, Hey, it's good to see you again. Awesome. But, uh, again, I was just kind of leaving it because, you know, I had just come out of this seat. Not, I wouldn't say I just came out of, but I, you know, recently within, you know, maybe a year prior had gone through this stuff and, um, maybe even less than that. I don't remember t- exact timeline, but you know, there was part of me in some of the guys that were discipling me were just kind of like, man, don't even worry about dating and stuff. Don't even worry about it. So I was kind of in that mindset where I was like, all right, I have like, I would definitely be interested in her, but should I be, I don't know. So a month later, we do this thing called sports camp and we do it here at good life as well. So it's a big children's event and it was, so it was at her campus, not the one that I was at. And it was literally Thursday before it started. So it was like three days before it started. Um, one of my bosses called me into the office and was just like, Hey man, I know this is super last minute, but we don't have anybody to lead sports camp and we just totally dropped the ball. We need you to do it. And I was all about it. I'm like, heck yeah, I love sports camp. It's just fun, which is a whole nother side note we could talk about, but just childlike faith is the real deal. I love, I seriously love leading worship for, uh, 
for kids and sports camp's just one of those things we get to jump up and down sing songs about jesus and i feel like heaven might look a little bit more like that um, sometimes but so anyways i go to sports camp and the very first night of sports camp there's sarah she's serving and um at the end of it i was just like all right i gotta talk to this girl i've randomly run into her three times she's beautiful clearly I don't know if she loves Jesus, but she's at the church all the time. So I need to go find out. So I talked to her and, you know, I'm in Mississippi. I'm from Florida, Mississippi people. I love them, but they're kind of country. That's not my vibe. So I'm approaching this girl who I assume is just from Mississippi. And, you know, very quickly, we're kind of introducing ourselves. Where are you from? She says, Oregon, Salem, Oregon. And I love the Northwest. Like I've gone in the Northwest a few times before then and always loved it. I would even tell people, I was like, man, if I like had the guts, I would move to the Northwest someday. So when she said Oregon, I was like, whoa okay this is different so we start talking i think we're flirting for sure i think we're hitting it off for like 20 minutes we're talking she apparently didn't feel this way she thought she was just being friendly to which i would say in my mind i'm like if you were just being friendly you were being way too friendly because i feel like i'm looking for signals as a guy like are you interested okay you're continuing conversation you're kind of interested in me whereas i guess she thought she was being friendly so go ahead yeah, like seriously, girls, pick up on this. This is something that we think about. Yeah. Guys are thinking about these things. Don't talk to us for more than eight seconds if you don't want us to think we're, you're interested. I mean, that's really the reality. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so um, I leave that conversation and I literally, I texted two of my friends. Well, okay, so I left the conversation. I didn't ask her out right then and there um, because I asked her this instead. I said, hey, are you going to be working all week? Because it was a week-long event. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'll be here all week. So then I was like, all right, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And I uh, I texted. <laughs> Did you say it like that? I didn't say it quite as creepily, but it was like, all right, great. I'll see you. I'll see you tomorrow. So I texted uh, two of my buddies and was just like, dang, just met this girl. Next time I see her, I'm asking her out, no doubt. So that was my version of the event. She left the event and um, called her mom. And she was like, oh, I know this guy's going to ask me out. I don't know what to say. And um, so she's like processing through with her mom which I guess shout out to, you know, Mama Hill. And uh, her mom was like, you're being dumb. Like, go go out with the guy. Like, you're interested in him. Don't be weird about it. Just go out with him. So it was, I don't think I saw her the next day, but then the following day she was teaching the, the dance track for children's, the kids camp. And I was just spending intentional time around dance track like any normal worship leader would do, you know? And um, I, you know, walked by a couple times, 10 times or so just waiting for when she was out. So she finally got out. So she had to go like put stuff in the tech booth or whatever. So I cornered her in the tech booth. Um, you know, probably should have given her a little escape, but this was, this part is funny cause I didn't have my cell phone. My phone was like dead. So I just said, Hey, I'd love to like, I would love to take you out on a date sometime. Can I get your number? I think I actually, I think I literally actually said like, Hey, I don't normally ask people out at kids camp, but, uh, I would love to go out with you and take you out on a date. And, she uh, was like, yeah, it'd be great. So she gave me her number. She actually wrote it down on a post-it note that I still have to this day at our house because I'm just weird, sentimental like that. So um, the way our relationship started was very different than any other relationship I'd been a part of because her company was a touring company. So they're just like constantly traveling. Um, her life was really hectic. Um, my life was also kind of that way. Being a, a single guy at a larger church, I was just kind of doing a ton of different things. And over the summer we had all these kids camps and different other different camps. Like we had multiple kids camps and student camps and all this kind of stuff I was helping to lead for. So from the time I got her number, I think I, okay, so here's a great story. So I get her number on like a Wednesday. So then we still kind of talk at sports camp, but there's no like established date. And then, um, that Sunday I was leading worship in Starkville, Mississippi, shout out to Mississippi state, the bulldogs. And I had to drive back down. So I remember I don't have her number in my phone, just on a post-it note. So I get out of church. I give her a call, goes to voicemail. So I leave this voicemail message. You know, I really rehearsed it. What's up? This is Forrest from the church and love to take you out, blah, 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 blah. Maybe we can get back. So that was at like 1230 when I get out of, get out of church. So I go down to, I drive a couple hours down to where um, I lived in Jackson and um, the campus there. So I went like straight into a rehearsal, led worship for a service there then hanging out with like some students and stuff afterwards. And I keep looking at my phone the whole time because she has not gotten back the whole time. I mean, it's like eight o'clock when I leave church and she still hasn't gotten back. It's been eight hours. So I'm like, did she just, she didn't have the heart to tell me no? What do I do? So I pull out my phone and I look at the post-it note and I dialed one number wrong. 
I don't know how, but I dialed one number wrong. So somebody in Oregon got a random voicemail from me asking them out on a date and they never followed up on it either. So <laughs> I'm now leaving church. I call my wife. Sorry, she wasn't my wife at the time. <laughs> I call Sarah and um, she first uh, she first answers and uh, she was like acting all tired because I guess I started off and I was like, hey, I hope it's not too late, which it was like 830. I was just being really courteous, I guess. And she was like, oh, yeah, I was just laying in bed asleep. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is off to a terrible start. So I was like, sorry. And then she's like, no, nah, I'm just joking. I was watching The Office with my roommate. And then I got down on one knee right there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she loves The Office. So we're all about the office at odg apparel don't yeah. you ever forget that if you don't like the office stop listening to our podcast we don't want you to listen to it sorry what else do you have you have more for me i feel like oh no i just thought you were trying to pass it back to me so no here i actually so i'm going to kind of give you the rundown of like our my my wife and i's story because it's there's like similar tones i feel like it, like every guy has similar so i see her at that event i get her number from the reference we're like texting back and forth a little bit um, I asked her out for coffee, right? I don't remember if I called her or texted her or whatever I did. I asked her out for coffee. So she, in the background of this, is like kind of freaking out because like, okay, is this a date? Is this not a date? Similar to what you said, like I did not do it right. So she's like, is this a date? Is it not a date? Like, is he going to... So her thing leaving was, if he buys my coffee, it's a date, right? Now, in my world, at this point in my life... I'm like an obsessive freak about my diet. Like I'm, I've done paleo for like a year. Like haven't even like sniffed sugar for like a year. So I can't drink coffee just like everybody else does. I'm like buying like, you know, grass fed organic craziness, like almond milk and the whole nine yards. And so I don't want to go to Starbucks and order like a complete spaz in front of her. So I get there like 30 minutes early with my own coffee. And then I pour it into a Starbucks cup, right? Because I want to make sure that she doesn't think I'm this crazy lunatic. But now I'm in this awkward position where I'm there when she shows up and I'm sitting outside. Do I get up and walk her into Starbucks and buy her coffee? Right? So I'm just in this awkward position. I'm playing through it in my head the whole time. Like, I should just get her coffee. But how awkward is this? What if she doesn't want me to buy her coffee? So I finally decided, like, it's too awkward. I'm just going to let, like, she buys her own coffee. So immediately she's like, oh, like, this isn't a date. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just the worst meeting ever. Like, we literally just, so at this point in my life, I'm single. I'm running the smoothie shops. I'm running a bunch of them. And I'm, like, totally not an extrovert. Like, I'm totally okay with, like, going home to my apartment after work every day. Like, not sitting on the, sitting on the floor to eat dinner because I didn't have any furniture because I didn't care. Like, it didn't have a TV. Like, I was just, like, so boring like that. So, when she's like, tell me about your life. Like, I only have boring things to report. So, she left and was like, this guy's a loser. She's so boring. He doesn't do anything. So, then, like, later on that week, like, I can tell that the date doesn't go well because, like, our communication, like, basically, like, she gives me the Heisman. Like, we're not hanging out. We're not talking. Nothing. So, I was like, you know what? Like, I know it didn't go well, but I'm just going to make a decision to, like, just go hard in the paint. So I ask her out again. And I think I texted her and she responds. I said, Hey, let's grab, I'd love to grab, co- uh, I'd love to grab breakfast or lunch tomorrow if you have time. And she responds, I'm going to the beach. That's the whole text, which is basically like a big middle finger, too. Yeah. I just want to say that's a bad sign for sure. If it's like no emojis or anything, it's just straight up going to the beach. That's kind of, uh, she rejected you. Well, and, and the reason why it's such a big deal is because I'm going to the beach is not a sufficient enough response because I didn't ask her to go to breakfast all day long. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't go to the beach from four in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. Like, you go to the beach for five hours. Mm-hmm. So there's still like a lot of hours left in the day. Mm-hmm. So it was really like a subtle nod to like, don't ask me to hang out anymore. Yes, which by the way, for context, where we live, there's a beach. Yeah. So it didn't mean like we were going on a day trip to the beach. It's kind of a casual thing. Yeah. Across the street, we're going to the beach. It's a five-minute drive. So when she says, I'm going to the beach, I'm like, dang. She wants nothing to do with me. And then she responds like 30 seconds later. And I could tell she must have felt bad that it was like such a rude text. She responds with, do you want to come? But like in parentheses, please don't say yes. And I was like, I know she doesn't want me to come, but I don't care. And I was like, I'd love to come. And I know she's in her head thinking, 
gosh, this freaking guy is coming to the beach with me. And I'm thinking in my head, all right, I got one shot. This beach trip's got to be awesome. And I'll totally change her mind. So I just went to the beach thinking, okay, she doesn't like me. She's not a fan of me. I'm going to just change her mind. So I'd love to ask who is at the beach. Is it just her at the beach? So yeah, that's, I text her. I'm like, Hey, do you like, I don't know what I texted her. Something along the lines of like, Hey, do you need me to bring anything? Like, are there, like, I was trying to get that out. She's like, no, I'm just going by myself. So I was like, okay. So I knew she didn't want me to go. Like it was very clear by her text message. She was, she just was nice enough to feel bad for me at this point. So I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to the beach. So we go to the beach and like, it's a totally awesome. Like we totally hit it off. It's a great time. One little caveat about the beach. So at this point in my life, it's the first time in my life that I have like a full-blown adult job. And so like I'm inside every day all the time. So I haven't been in the sun in two years, really. I mean, honestly, like I literally went from playing sports in college, like outside all the time to like I was inside working all the time. And so she's like, do you need sunscreen? And I literally roll my eyes. I'm like, I don't need sunscreen. I never, I've, I can think of, there was probably 10 times my entire life leading up to that point that I wore sunscreen. Like I just was never that, that guy. I just never needed it. Never had a sunburn, but like forgetting that my skin has like not used to it. I'm like, no, I don't need sunscreen. You're like, you're sure? Like two hours in, you sure? Three hours in, you sure? Yeah, I'm good. I kept like scoffing, like, come on, I don't need it. I don't need it. Five hours in. Like I will find a way to show this picture like on our Instagram somehow because I literally looked nuclear. Like I literally looked like like something horribly like a tragic accident had happened and i had like somehow like was going to be a part of the next avengers movie like I, it was an issue and so that's a fun little like story so if you were given superpowers from the nuclear experience um what would those be so it, it felt like for some reason it felt like i would melt like if that were the thing like i would probably melt and then come back but like i actually knew it, it was funny because I, she invited, she's young life staff. So she invited me to young life like that next week. And here's how I knew like, she really liked the date, the beach date. So I got there and one of her friends, one of her close friends was like, wow, you did get a bad sunburn. Mm. Like he had context. Like he knew that we were at the beach together and he knew I had a bad sunburn. So I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. like she's talking about me. And then honestly, the rest is history. We were married, honestly. So my wife and I, I think we were married well, we were engaged within like four months. So we hung out in March for the first time and we were married in December. No Went hard in the paint. No no need to waste any time. Yeah, so it was it was like a really in- quick season of our lives, but, but also really cool. And yeah, that's kind of where that whole thing went. And how old were you guys? So I was... We got married in 2013, and it's 19. So I was 23, and she is four years older than me. So that was almost an issue. So she found out like how old I was, and she was like, whoa, you're really young. And I was like, age is just a number. I remember telling her a text message with like, an emoji. I don't use emojis, but I felt like I had to. That's uh, funny you say that because I feel like ODG Insta is filled with emojis. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Listen, guys. ODG's Instagram and Twitter is 100% me and my team. But, like, I do it because I have to. I'm not good at social media. I just have fun with it. I turn into, like, alter ego Dave from ODG Apparel. It's an al- total alter ego for me. I use a way- I actually get people who complain about how many emojis I use. And I literally send them an emoji in my response. <laughs> That's actually a good way to put it is thinking of an alter ego. This is totally off topic, but I once listened to a podcast. I think it was a podcast, but it was a guy. He was talking about how do you deal with difficult people? And one of the things he was saying is how some people are just going to be really difficult no matter what you do. And what he actually does is he begins to think of himself, not as himself, but as someone who is sent to study difficult people, like almost like a scientist. So the more difficult they become, the more he's just like, wow this is incredible. I've never seen such a species before, you know? Uh, so it's kind of an interesting way to deal with that. But along the lines of dating, not what I thought we were going to talk about, but now we're talking about it. I mean, we can go down a totally different road right now. We can start talking about worship stuff. We can start talking about kind of like, I mean, we, we, we're like 50 minutes into this thing. So who knows? We could talk about nothing at this point. We could just call it a day on this podcast. Yeah, there's one little axe I like to grind when it comes to dating or really anything. 
And it's kind of a weird axe, but it is, I always relate it back to the second law of thermodynamics. Did you expect that to come up? I know it. Yeah, but it's called entropy. And the idea is that within any given system, you know, when left alone without any type of outside energy, things are going to move towards chaos. And it's a scientific law. And um, I love it because when I read the scripture, when I go to Genesis chapter three, that's exactly what we see in the world is that we're like all of creation is groaning to be restored back to the original, you know, creation. So I say all that to say when it comes to dating or really anything, if it's scripture reading, if it's spiritual discipline, if it's dating, if it's fighting for purity in a relationship, if you're not intentional about something, like if you just kind of leave it to be, it is always going to move towards the chaos. Like you're never going to just randomly walk into holiness. So I would say for the first time in my life, when my wife and I started dating, I felt like it was special. Like there was something different and we really wanted to fight for purity. So there was a lot of, I guess, guardrails we put up that were not normal, things I hadn't normally done. But just knowing that if you don't do it, if you aren't intentional, it's going to move towards chaos. So I'm, it's funny, like I'm really going through that with a lot of the guys that I'm discipling right now, specifically around the idea of fighting for, and this is, huge like we need to hear this as guys girls whatever it is pursuing jesus fight against the steps before the sin it's so easy especially in a relationship to be like here's the guardrail we can't do fill in the blank physically right instead of fighting for hey we can't hang out alone after 9 p.m you know whatever those things are and then i think a lot of people try to set things like that up and then they're not that bummed when they when they break them, but then they're bummed when they fall into sin. Mm-hmm. Instead of looking at that discipline as the thing to be bummed about, mm-hmm. right? So rather than being bummed, and we're gonna go super like heavy podcast one. You already talked about predestination and election. <laughs> so at this point, what else is there left to talk about? Yeah. But um, like pornography, right? Pornography is one of those things where it's super easy when you find yourself there to say man, I shouldn't, I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But where no one's frustrated, no one's bummed about spending too much time on Instagram, mm-hmm. right? But is 100% a door that's going to lead you there. No one's, no one's bummed about spending too much time in front of the television. Mm-hmm. But if you're honest with yourself, that's a door that leads you there, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. just picking away at your resolve to fight sin, whether it's pornography or any other sin. Like, setting up those guardrails is huge and then being intentional and like kind of ferocious and bummed about missing those guardrails and then fighting that rather than, well, I I missed that guardrail, but we have this other guardrail too. Mm -hmm. Oh, I missed that guardrail too, but it's fine. We have this other thing that'll stop us from doing that. Instead of just like, no, 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 be bummed about this, be frustrated about this. Um, Yeah. So that's huge. I think for, for all of us as we pursue the Lord, but it's kind of touching on what you were talking about. Yeah, no, I think it's true. And I think in general, you don't, you know, nobody. Okay. So there's a, there's a ministry in our church that's run by some, some awesome people and they work with people that are coming out of, you know, jail systems and prison and situations like that. And hearing a lot of their testimonies just kind of in a larger scale, I suppose, speaks to what you're saying, which is that, you know, nobody wakes up one day and is like, man, I, I think I'll go to jail or no one wakes up one day and is like, man, I want to do heroin. But there's just these little steps that make it that much easier along the way that it's like, you know, there was one girl's testimony that I found particularly powerful. And she was just talking about how easy it had become for her to rob people. Now it seems crazy for us. We would never think about it, but along the way for her, there was all these little steps where she just became so desensitized to it that it was like nothing else. And I think that's the same way that whether it's pornography or whether it's greed or whether it's just wasting a whole lot of time, nobody starts off and is like, man, I, I want to embezzle money from my company. But it's just compromising on little things over and over again that gets you closer to that line to where all of a sudden it seems like not that big of a deal because you've already justified all the steps to do it. And fighting against that, easier said than done. Well, and even most importantly, like fighting against that, the way we f- don't fight against that is through moralism right? Through saying, don't do this, don't do that. Like, I even think about the testimonies that you're talking about and even our own lives. Like, I mean, 
Jesus gets me out of that place by showing me by all of his beautiful grace that he is enough for me at that place, right? So meaning uh, Martin Luther has a quote, I think I, I could be totally attributing some false quote to him, but um, when you sin, sin boldly. This idea being when we find ourselves deep in the darkness of sin, whatever it may be, let's, let's say it's heroin, let's say it's greed, whatever it is, deep in that place. And for whatever reason, there's this flicker of light that's like, man, I don't want to be here, right? Rather than letting, because here's, here's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. And like, I would love to do a video soon of this for ODG, but one of my favorite passages in scripture is in Hebrews where it talks, where the author talks about the deceitfulness of sin. It says, beware of the deceitfulness of sin. And so I studied Hebrews for a while, one, one kind of season in my life. And I remember wrestling with that and going, what a, what a phrase, like beware of the deceitfulness of sin. It would have been enough and the sentence would have been fine had he said, beware of sin. But he says, beware of the deceitfulness of sin, which I think is really interesting because isn't that assumed? Like, isn't sin something to be aware of? But, but he kind of pulls out this word of beware of the deceitfulness of sin. And as I kind of wrestled with and prayed about it, I felt this reality of like, man, what does sin do to all of us? But it leads us, like sin leads us down this road we don't want to go. And then when we get there and by God's grace, we realize we're there. We have this moment where the same sin that led us down that corridor puts on a suit and becomes some form of the God. You know, God's kind of butler and goes, whoa, where are you going? Oh, I, want to, I don't want to be here. I want to go back to God. And this sin, this deceitful sinner, this deceitful whatever you want to call it, this kind of temptation, it goes, no, you can't go back to God. Look at you. You're, look how far you already are down the hallway. Look how, look, how many, look how many boundaries you've already broken. Look how many kind of bad decisions you've already made. God, you can't just go back to God. And so this is why the reason we find ourselves going deeper and deeper in sin is not because we're not more moral, not because we're not more disciplined, not because we don't fight hard enough. It's because we don't believe the gospel enough, right? The only way we find the power to get out of those sins is to trust that Jesus is enough for us in the midst of them. Because if we think that, if we believe the deceitfulness of sin, we'll keep going deeper into that sin, right? When I think about those, those girls in our church, their stories, I think about my own story and the, the dark places I found myself in my life, man, it, was, it, was because, it wasn't because I didn't try hard enough. It was because I didn't believe hard enough. It, it's always an unbelief thing. It's never a, man, I'm just a special kind of sinner. It's like, no, no, no. If we grab a hold of, if anyone listening, if all of us grab a hold of how pure and beautiful and overwhelmingly big God's grace is for us, that in the midst of our darkest moment, whether it's adultery or heroin or greed or pornography or whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is. If we find, if we stop in that moment and we're bold, when Martin Luther says sin boldly, when we're in that moment bold saying Christ is enough for me, that's not us taking advantage of the gospel, but the deceitfulness of sin wants us to believe that it is. And so it's, that's how you get out of that deep darkness of sin is not believing the lie that this was that moment, right? If anything, lean into that. When the enemy says, man, you're not clean enough because you did this, man, even if I didn't do that, like I would, I had no place with God, you know, kind of like, look at all those kind of boundaries that you crossed over that the enemy is going to point to man. Look, you, you crossed this road because you crossed this road. You can't go back, man. If I didn't cross the, the 10 roads before that, I still wasn't good enough. I still wasn't able. Christ is the only thing giving me a place at the table. That's a totally radical way of kind of defeating that kind of deceitfulness of sin. Does that make sense, what I'm kind of saying? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I think it just speaks to reality, which is whatever you, whatever you focus on tends to be where you get your attention and what seems really large. And I think it's really easy... Um, you know, for instance, for a worship team, the thing that I've kind of always carried with me is like value number one is set our eyes, that worship begins when we set our eyes on Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And I think we have the tendency to be really inwardly focused when we're, the more we're sinning, I think the more we are, we tend to be inwardly focused. So it's easy for us to go down that road and be like, I'm not good enough. I'm not this, I'm not whatever. I, I did this, I did that. And it's all about me. I'm all focused on me. And what really pulls us out is exactly what you're saying. It's when, no, we look to Jesus and who he is, what he has done and begin to believe it and not just believe it in a way that's like, you know, theologically, I understand this in my head. Um, 
but it's allowing that truth to move into your heart and ultimately I would say into your feet, like actually taking it into action. And it's interesting, you know, how we, we always use the word heart. Like obviously physiologically we understand that our heart kind of pumps blood through our body. It doesn't necessarily have a, you know, it's not the brain, but really in the, in the Hebrew, when they're using these words like heart and, and stomach and like gut and soul, I mean, that, that's the idea is it's not just that I believe this thing in my mental capacity, but it's in my very being and my essence is a part of who I am. I believe this. And I think you just preached a pretty good sermon on it. Man, I preach that to myself every day. Be weak, right? Like Christ is enough. That is the gospel. And if we graduate from there, we're just missing it. Um, what do you want to leave these people with? What do you, what's the one thing that we need to know from, first of all, I haven't even touched on this. You're totally rocking the barefoot tee. Love it. Come on, tell us, tell us it's the most comfortable t-shirt you own. Tell us you love it. Come on. I'm not going to lie, people. I love the bare fruit tea. It is awesome. And, and I, I have to sec- set the record straight. I did give it to you for free. <laughs> so that was kind of payment for the free t-shirt. You saying you love it, but it is a comfortable shirt. We'll just, it's cool. They know, they know, I know, we all know. It is. My wife has one as well. And the shirt is awesome. If you weren't a friend and gave it to me, I probably would have bought one. So yeah. I said, probably, I definitely would have. What do you got to leave? The things that I would say, if I was going to leave people with, you know, there's nothing like really like new under the sun that I have to share with you other than, man, exactly what Dave just said. Preach the gospel to yourself and understand that, you know, when we're walking with Jesus, I think we're, you know, forgive me for sounding like so dumb, but we're walking with Jesus. Like we're, we're going somewhere. Sometimes I get really frustrated that I'm not at the end goal yet, you know, and I wouldn't... I don't know if I just want to say like, oh, we need to give ourselves more grace, but we need to understand that we are walking with Christ and there's a sanctification process that's taking place. And I've been amazed at the people in my life that I'm around that I see all of this spiritual fruit in. A lot of times it's not that they're like the flashiest people. It's not that they're like just the craziest superstar, like flashiness, but it's the patterns of discipline. They wake up every morning. They spend time in the word. They... Yeah, hopefully they wake up. I'm just trying to reiterate. They do these simple patterns. They get up. They spend time in the word. They like, even I think about one guy that's been so impactful for me. Not only does he spend time in the word, but he journals it kind of the same way every time. And um, I started journaling it that way as well because it was like, man, not only is there a kind of structure to it, but it's like you can go back, you know, two years from now, or sorry, not two years in the future, like two years in the past, talk about my wife and I meeting, I can open up my, my journal and see exactly, you know, what scripture I was coming out of, what God was showing me um, through that and in that season. So I would just encourage you that, man, spiritual discipline is not the most exciting thing to talk about, but we're walking with God and we're on a journey. So I can think of a, a really cool conversation with a friend of mine that um, kind of sets the, the pace for even that whole conversation. But I remember being like in college, I was super fiery. Like I had read David Platt's book, Radical. I had read Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is like, I'm not living it. Like I want to live it. You know, I got to go like so intense and so radical and which I think is true. I think we do need to do that. And I remember kind of talking about that to a friend of mine on the phone and he was kind of, you could tell that he was like, I'd had enough of it. Like I had just done it so many times. Like so, so frustrated that I wasn't where I wanted to be. And he just like, he just said, man, but aren't you thankful that you're not who you used to be? Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. We're not where we want to be. Mm-hmm. But when do you just think, man, I'm not who I used to be? Mm-hmm. He's like, don't you remember when? And he started to list off all the things we used to be. Mm-hmm. He's like, we are not that. We are so far from that. Like, let's rejoice in that, right? That is the gospel. The gospel, you said it perfectly. We, we keep looking at this end goal instead of looking at it, it. It's about today. It's about walking with Jesus today. And one of the quotes I saw um, the other day from Desiring God was like, even when the word tastes like cardboard, read it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Even when praying feels like you're talking to nobody, pray. Mm-hmm. Like those are those disciplines that really make you wake up one day and you're not who you used to be. On that, I was just encouraging somebody in my group this past week because there there is this tension of, you know, I do believe we should feel a desire when we're regenerated, when we have the spirit inside of us. We should have this desire to spend time with God and worship and be in his word but at the same time, life has seasons. And, you know, there are going to be those seasons where what I was encouraging this guy with was, you know, the the words of the psalmist saying, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. 
And that's a prayer that if you're in that dry season that you can hold on to from the word of God to say, man, it's okay to come to God and say, man, I'm not feeling it right now. The word tastes like cardboard, but I want to feel it. God, please restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And what I was encouraging him with is this, that we believe a lie that, man, if I really loved God, that I would just wake up one day and just feel so on fire to get in his word and can't wait to just put on, you know, the next worship album and just spend time worshiping before I go to work. And some days that's true. But what I know to be true in our life is, man, I love my wife more than anything. And apart from God, of course, but I love my wife more than anything on planet earth. But never once have I come home in our whole year and a half of being married and really felt like cleaning the dishes. Not a single time have I ever felt like it. But I don't believe that love is doing the right thing when we feel like it. A lot of times what real love is, is doing the right thing even when we don't feel like it. And it's those days that will build your faith and restore the joy of your salvation or when you wake up and you don't feel like it. But your relationship, your love of God, man, that is the defining factor. Not your feelings, but what you know to be true. So Dave, it's kind of late. Should probably go to bed, turn the mic off, send us home. Boom. ODG Apparel Podcast, kind of real podcast one in the books. Later. All right, there it is. Episode one is in the books for our first full-length interview-style podcast. We actually had a blast recording it. Thank you so much to Forrest for giving us the time to talk about everything from music to his wife to somehow, some way, predestination and election on episode one. But we did it. We had fun. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you did enjoy it, like, subscribe, follow us. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, Anchor. You can find all that stuff on our website. Uh, subscribe, like, share. Let us know what you think. We hope you enjoyed it. Keep following Jesus. He's worth it.